The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast. It's the show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me today in the SCP studio, the Angel Cake MD, PhD student Riley B. and Bush has joined us. Thank you for calling me an angel cake. <laughs> the shrewd M2 Tracy Chen is here. Hey, everyone. I love to be a devil's food cake. <laughs> but you're not. You're shrewd. <laughs> and the uncompromising M2, Jacob Lamb has a microphone. And then we have sweet P MD, PhD student Aline Sanduk joining us in the form of ones and zeros. Hello. I use some adjectives for y'all that I found on a list of 317 words at descriptivewords.org. Nice. <laughs> Does anyone have a guess as to what this list of words is supposed to describe? Anyone? Education. No. No. Can you repeat the adjective? But we've got angel cake, shrewd, uncompromising, and sweet pea. I admittedly do not know what shrewd means. Shrewd, is, shrewd is like, bad. I'm very intelligent, very smart, Ooh. and I am... Always analyzing what other people are doing and thinking about and scheming. Describe I thought that was something I wanted to be until you described it like that. <laughs> it's a description for your significant other. No, all of you are wrong. It is words that pertain apparently to babies and toddlers. <laughs> oh. You know those baby. shrewd, uncompromising babies. That is my favorite word to describe children yeah. without knowing what it means clearly. <laughs> Other weird options on the list included authentic, committed, <laughs> modest, and romantic. All words definitely associated with babies, I would An say. An authentic baby. No, you're a fake baby. <laughs> I want to, I do want to bring up Boss Baby, though, the Ooh. acclaimed hit. Boss, Boss Baby, baby would be likely is described as all of these yeah. things. So that is true. true. Put some respect on Boss Baby's name. Yeah, I'm just saying, sometimes my dependence on the internet doesn't do me a solid. You guys want to bitch about anything today? Is there anything you want to bitch about before we start? I just, I don't want to ever take away a med student's God-given right to bitch. Uh, I would encourage it in order to mine your lives for content. You had a specific thing you wanted us to bitch about, I think, today. Yeah. Yep. Is this just like open floor bitching? Open floor yeah, bitching? yeah. Let's open the floor before we get to the specific bitching. Let's open the floor to other sorts of things that you might want to bitch about that don't have anything to do with med school. I'd like to bitch about grant writing. Oh. I don't need the grant. I don't want to write it, but I feel like I have to for the fact that it's probably going to be a part of my career. And I just don't like it. And maybe I won't have a career because of that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody no, loves grant No, it's really writing. not. It's honestly not that bad. But really, my true bitch is like looking at a blank Word document and knowing that I have to fill it yeah. with intelligent words. Yeah, yeah. And don't love that. So... That's a, a downside to this path that I've chosen. You should just rip off one of your PI's grants. <laughs> <laughs> he, did, he did send me one. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> but there's only so much I can take from it, unfortunately. There are some things. I have a second bitch. Oh, you have a second. Oh. I have a second bitch. Yeah. I would like to. <laughs> I, I'll, guys, this is my time. <laughs> this is my Not time. This. I would also like to bitch about having to take classes among undergrads. I have nothing against undergrads. I just feel there's something about walking around campus and feeling as though I wonder if I look old and realizing I am not old. And it really brings me back down. When you say you have to take classes. I got to take classes across the way. I've got undergrads in both of my classes this semester, both of my grad school classes. Ew. I love the undergrads. They're wonderful. There's nothing against them, but it's about walking around a massive school like Iowa where you suddenly feel both so old and so young at the same time. And that's what I would like to bitch about. There's a lot of students here now. Yes, there are. I'm not sure being old among that community of people is like such a bad thing. No, I don't think it is. I do like to play this fun game with myself where I'm walking around campus and I try to guess what year they're in. 
And I can always tell because the freshmen have the lanyards around their neck with their key for their dorm. They're always ready because yes. they can't lose it. Yes. I, again, this is costs, no shade to freshmen. It costs Do money. Do not lose your key. Do not lose it's your key. It's going to be a problem. Definitely keep your keys. But at the same time, I don't have an alternative. It's a, alternative. Look. It's it's a, a look. look. It's Definitely. a look. Okay. This is just my slander podcast now. I will say for a whole freshman year, I wore that lanyard I know. for a whole year. But you I tucked didn't lose it underneath. your keys, did you? I didn't. I tucked it under my jacket. No one can tell. See, it's genius. It's both the smartest thing ever, and it is a dead giveaway. Yeah. I didn't do that when I was a freshman. I thought it was cringe, but... <laughs> wow, Jacob. There was one time I did drop my keys on the street, and someone had to pick them up and be like, yo. So they are on to something. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should have had them around your neck. Speaking of bitching... I wanted to ask you all, what are some things that if you had known about that would have that if you had known about what your experience in medical education would be like before you applied? What are some things that would have made you reconsider coming to med school or put another way? What are some things that would have made you go? No, I don't want to come to med school. I guess so like as only a second year, we still haven't done the clinical stuff. But one thing that for me at least was like I knew it was going to be tough studying a lot. But actually what the effects are like on your mental health and how it actually feels to just be on your computer all the time. Just looking at handouts or PowerPoints, not having much time anymore to do what you want to do. And also it's like sad. Most of my friends, they went into engineering or computer science. So they're still making a lot of money, but I also see them playing games after 5 PM till they go to sleep. And I'm like, why can't I do that? Yeah. That's a few different things there, isn't there? That we've got the opportunity cost of going to medical school is high. In fact, an analysis at medschoolinsiders.com, you're going to love this says that despite a starting salary of more than three times that of an engineer, specialist doctors only surpass engineers in lifetime earnings at the age of 43. So from the age of 22 to 42, engineers are in a more favorable financial position. Why would you tell me that? I'm reconsidering. Typically, Lots. Riley, why would you tell Riley? Why would you tell me that? I'm going to spiral, Dave. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be worse for you guys, for you MD, PhDs. No, I get that. I think I knew that coming in, which is the hardest part. Like, I knew what I was giving up in terms of earning potential in my 20s to have a career that I would rather desire as opposed to like working for the man, even though I'm going to end up working for the man in some way. <laughs> work um, for a man. I'm going to work for a man or, or a, a woman, woman uh, but a company. Metaphorically, metaphorically the, man. the man. And so I agree with that. How dare you? What about nice men? <sighs> I know. But I do agree with the studying as well because there's this misconception that goes around that, oh, the hard part of medical school is getting in. The amount of work that I had to put in that I only look back and <laughs> look back with sadness is crazy. You go to class from, what, eight to four most days, and then you have to come home and you're usually studying until 8 p.m. is usually when I would cut myself off. So yeah, I agree. Like You didn't have a ton of time to do stuff outside of class. And even now as a person in research, which like is almost a little more cush than having to study for preclinicals or study within the clinical atmosphere, because I go home and I do nothing. I'm terrified of going back to clinic, which I've talked to Aline about in that I'm scared that I'm have to, gonna have to go back and not have this world in which I can come home and do nothing anymore. Aline, you've made this transition. Thoughts? I think you make it what you want it to be. I think the hardest part of clinical is just not having control over the number of hours. It really depends on the preceptor that you have and how much they expect you to stay. And I don't know, I've been really lucky. I've had nothing but very cool experiences on clinics. So I'm very reluctant to talk about going back to med school because I think it's been awesome for me. And I don't want to tell people that because most people seem really unhappy, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think your preceptors. <laughs> I'll write them all down. Um, if you send that to Jacob and me too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah all put together in Google Doc. I do think that people who had experiences before coming to med school, and especially MSTPs, I think are a little more seasoned professionally. And I think that's a real benefit when you go back to med school. Because one of the hardest things I think for clinical staff is that balance between contributing without also being in the way because they're just things you don't know. It's not as bad as people make it out to seem. It's a, it's actually pretty awesome. I think it's awesome. It's awesome in ways that grad school isn't where the expectations are very clear, what you need to do to succeed is very clear, and you 
can take time off if you want, if you're really caught up on your stuff. And if you want to just pass your exams for the specialties you don't plan on going into, no one's going to stop you. If you want to ace every exam and get 100%, then yeah, you're probably not going to not going to have as much time off. That's good to know, because I do agree that I again, maybe un, I wish I had known, but this is like MSTP edition. I wish I in some ways I wish I had known and I did know going into grad school, just the lack of expectations, lack of structure. So that's probably a little more niche than what we needed to get into. But yeah, it would be nice to get back to, hey, this is what you got to do. And you did it, then you're done. And that mm-hmm. is in some ways the nice part. But you did bring up as well, like the grading system. And again, and I wish I had known coming into medical school, it's always, oh, it's a pass fail system. It's not. It Ultimately, it's not. And so as a person who's trying to break down these barriers of perfectionism that I have and not be that person that's striving for my worthiness within grades, it's also a really hard system to be in when it's not just pass fail. It's near honors. It's always striving again for that next best thing. Or you always wish, oh, if I had tried a little bit harder, could I have gotten near honors? If I had tried a little bit more, could I have gotten honors? And again, that goes back to the mental health aspect, which is I just had wished that I'd known that the like pass fail system is not necessarily going to take the pressure off like it maybe should. And part of that is probably my own personal. I think that's a lot of I think that's a lot of because there's an argument as far as grading systems that the, my understanding is that there's an argument that pass fail grades are good at eliminating some of the stressors that med students experience, but they are bad in that it's harder for students to shine when they put in the extra effort or something. So I think those are the two arguments that I hear. The unfortunate part of our like honors and your honors situation is that if somebody has an honors and somebody has a pass grade, if you get honors, you have 93%, but pass, if you get like 91%, that may end up being a pass. So it's unfortunate when for residency applications, they look at that and they think, oh, this person only passed. Like maybe they got 70 or 80 versus this is honors. So they don't really have the kind of like the grade breakdown. Interesting. Yeah. I had never, for some reason, thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. So it can like, be really tight. Like that yeah. near honors can sometimes be like a percentage point. And huh. it's just a certain amount of people end up in it. Interesting. One of the things that your classmates said that would have made them reconsider, they called it medical hazing. And I think what they mean is we know this thing is arbitrary and sucks, but we had to do it. So you have to do it, too. Have you guys encountered that at all? I personally have not seen that happen, but I'm sure there might be some forms going around in like certain clicks. Just not that I've seen it. One of the other things people mentioned was the difficulty that institutions have in changing the things about them that are undesirable. Medicine being a particularly, I don't know if hidebound is the right word, but basically it's difficult to change culture. And in medicine, for some reason, there's a perception that it's particularly difficult. I think in both the last comment and this comment, I don't know if I knew just how hierarchical medicine is until I was in it. And I do think that's what gets back to the idea of hazing versus this kind of like institutional setups. And I agree. I should not have more power over like what is happening with patients. I agree that in some ways I should be on the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah, the hierarchy exists for hierarchy a reason. Is some of them supposed to be there. Right. There, there are important aspects of the hierarchy that. Yes. That are helpful not to mention the fact that it's in many ways legally required and in some ways it saves us the stress the true stress of having to take care of patients i do think that there are moments in which that hierarchy is not checked and that's where this kind of institutional problems will come in if the hierarchy is not being checked or the hazing comes in or something in which like for example people would talk about the pimping that happens in the clinical environment and sometimes that can be from my understanding of other people's experiences, really stressful and harmful to their learning. There may be better ways to learn instead of just like aggressively pimping. And for those who don't know, pimping is where an attending would just point blank, ask you a question at random, have to give an answer. And it would be something hyper specific to the patient's presentation. And I think that can be great for some learners and not great for other learners. The attendings that I found really successful at teaching were the ones who would sit down with a whiteboard and 
take an actual intended approach to teaching. And it wasn't just at random, hey, you give this answer, you give this answer, but it's, hey, we are learning right now. So let me also ask the group these questions. So hierarchy, if not checked, could ultimately become the problems. And I wish I had just known that coming in. That is quite interesting. Yesterday I had my EC early clinical experience mm -hmm. doing my first like rounding and I was being asked point blank questions by the med student who was just asking, hey, do you know about this? But he did it in a very nice way. I didn't feel like overly threatened. I actually got some of the answers correct, which was nice. But I can definitely see it, how it's the culture of learning and teaching is being passed down to the next generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can mention, like, I think one of the reasons why it's so hard to change is just as trainees, we're really shaped by our mentors or the people teaching us. And then they're shaped by those. So unless like one of the new attendings decides to make a radical change for themselves to shape the new generation. For the most part, it's just going to be the same traditions, the same culture passed down until someone decides, I don't like this, I want to change it, which is probably more difficult than just keeping the status quo. Listeners, if you ask us a question, it means that I don't have to make something up to talk about on the show. And the show becomes what you want it to be. So send your questions to the shortcodes at gmail.com or leave a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. I was reading something the other day that I think pertains a little bit to what we're talking about, where it was pretty old. I think it was in Scientific American, but it was talking about like sociological research related to how the direction in which certain fields of science go is almost directly proportional to thoughts propagated by certain scientists relative to how many trainees they produce. And so like when there are different schools of thought and different theories in a certain area, the one that predominates originates with the person who generated more trainees. And so basically they're just creating clones of themselves that just go out. And <laughs> are you saying medicine is a little bit like mini cults? Is that what we're saying? I, with the steamed leaders? <laughs> Science feels a little cultier to me than medicine. And I think it is getting better, but I think there was a time when PIs really were trying to make their students into small versions of themselves. And we're not open to any other career path other than academic research, other than, if it, that sounds an awful lot like a pyramid scheme. Like in order to get tenure, I need to recruit more schmucks into this system so that they can replace me and then I can advance. And it's very weird, but... I wanted to come back to something we were talking about a minute ago, which is I actually don't really have a problem with pimping. And it's because, like, it depends on the intent. If the intent is to embarrass and humiliate, yeah, most people would not like that. But there are some people who pimp really effectively where they'll point blank ask you a question. And then if you don't know and they create a, like, a safe environment for you to be like, I'm not sure... The right way to respond to that is, cool, let me supplement your learning. So here's how I remember that thing. Or here's a trick I use. Got it? Okay, cool. I personally really like that rapid fire. But also, I think it's because in my later years of life, I've become a little bit bullyproof. Like, it's really hard to hurt my feelings. And there was one instance of bullying that I can think of that was not cool, but it was just like one very specific person and one very specific service. And maybe other people were also trying to bully me and hurt my feelings, but I didn't feel it and I didn't see it. And I don't think it was in my head. I think they really were pretty nice. But the things you're talking about do happen, like not cool people imposing their authority. But I don't know. I feel like it's getting better. But that's the I feel like that's the pro primary problem with medicine is that it's built of people. <laughs> politics just like every other industry people are great and people suck and, and every, every institution a mix of those type mm -hmm. of people every industry yeah. every populated area on the planet that you can think of is going to face this sort of problem it's a little bit more acute in medicine especially in medical education the other factors that surround medical education things like the expenses the amount of time that you have to spend I think it's the time. Um, like it, it has every one of the phenomena that we're talking about that happened in any other, other industry, but it's the pace at which it happens is very quick. And the problem is that because of the nature of the work, you don't even have time to process what you're feeling before you have to jump to the next thing. And maybe sometimes that's good. Like you get stabbed and you're like, I can't worry about this blood right now. I have to go take care of something else. But that creates a wound that then never heals. But I'd like Depends to add an armchair theory as well. So most medical students still to this day are coming either directly out of college or kind of very closely out of college. So 
not many have had kind of this job experience. We're saying this happens in just about every industry. This is not exclusive to medicine. This kind of hierarchy, this passing down of traditions of mentors to mentees that then affect you. But I do think from the kind of outside looking in, even though I was inside once, you don't get as many opportunities for these kind of office politics experiences when you're in undergrad like the path is very set you basically have professors who are trying to get you there but you're not interacting really exclusively with mentors very few people I think have really strong connections to mentors I think you have maybe one or two but medicine it's expected that you're having you're changing every two weeks you're having a new doctor a new mentor so the rate at which you're having to build and maintain these mentor relationships is on a whole other scale than you're ever getting in undergrad so I don't think there is as much opportunity in undergrad unless you're working jobs outside where you're actually getting this kind of office experience and I say office but that could mean like Work. workplace experience it doesn't even have to be medicine related or any like businessy related but I just don't think looking back that I had as many opportunities to work on these interrelational like communication, I don't know, skill sets when I was an undergrad as I have in medicine, which I think then can be a little bit blindsiding to students when they go from grades in the preclinicals to clinicals. Suddenly it's grades, but it's mostly evaluations. And I yeah. think that kind of Aline was mentioning the maturity often shines through from those who have had the experience of, say, working or doing a PhD and or having worked a job outside of medicine. I think so, that's the other thing that people don't realize that I suspect that if some people knew just how much, at least during clinical years, they were going to be evaluated, mm -hmm. that might be a little off-putting too, especially because you're not always being evaluated on your skills or your knowledge, mm -hmm. but you're being evaluated in some cases on your personality. You're not allowed to have a bad day. You are. As a you human, absolutely you are. are. You, you absolutely are. Absolutely are. But it will come out in your evaluations. Yes. The person you worked with that day will see that. Because you may only work with them for right. a few days. It's or not, you get yeah. dinged for stuff that is just part of you. Things like, is a quiet person. That's going to... I imagine that getting... that I'm not a quiet person. I don't know. But I imagine <laughs> that getting that feedback constantly is a little bit wearing and... It just wears on you and makes you feel like, oh, maybe I'm not cut out for this or something like that. I guess that could happen. I just think that it's unusual in other workplaces and other educational environments to be constantly evaluated on things like your personality. Yeah. Or to get feedback on that because you may not, people are evaluating you based on your personality, but they're not telling you to your face. And every six weeks, are you getting that <laughs> feedback? You're probably getting it maybe once a year at a formal sit down, yeah. yearly review, but yeah. definitely not on the same scale. There was a thought that came to me that I think is worth pointing out is that sometimes people, and I don't want to say younger people, but I'm trying to think of a good analogy of like, you're on a clerkship and I want to do a good job and I want a good evaluation seem like the same goal, but they are a little bit different. And I find that the people that do the best on the wards are the ones who are like, I just want to have a good time. I want to learn a lot. I want to do well on my tests. I want to figure out if this is right for me. Like I'm here, I'm game, whatever. If the focus is I need to get this person to like me, the stakes feel so much higher and the target feels so much smaller. I think yeah. a good attitude is I want everyone to like me. I want to have a good time. I want to learn a lot. I want to contribute. I want this person to like me is part of the bigger goal. Like I want to do a good job. But if you just focus on doing a good job, I feel like negative comments just fall by the wayside. You're expanding the circle of people that can give you the feedback you're looking for to increase your self-confidence. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure most of what they're looking for is just eagerness. Are you excited to learn about their field? Because from what I can tell, if you are checked out from the very beginning and you're going into a specialty and you haven't quote unquote, nothing to learn from this rotation, it's yeah. going to shine through. That's going to be pretty obvious. Like, yeah. Be excited to learn, see patients and do what you're doing on a daily basis, which in some ways was my approach when I did clinicals. I do think sometimes that people pleasing part did come out within me, which is like just my like, I think a personal thing that a lot of medical students just end up dealing with because we've most of the time 
received external validation and so that people pleasing kind of shines but yeah you're right be excited about learning and then you don't have to worry so much about the people I think someone told me not to do this and then I was like no so on almost every one of my rotations when people asked me what I was leaning towards I was very honest. I was like, I've already fallen in love. I'm not dating anymore. But that also means I'm never going to see this again. So show me everything. Like I'm here for it. I'm excited. I'm never going to be able to see a knee replacement. So I'll stay for the length of the the whole thing. That actually goes a long way. I I love that attitude. People, and let me tell you, that was an immediate way. Before I said anything else to some of the people I've worked with, I said that, number one, they appreciated my honesty. But then they also appreciate like my, my, I don't know, game, just like being game of, yeah, all right, let's do that. Let's check this out. You want me to do this? Cool. I got it. I, whatever I can do. People really liked that. And sometimes it wasn't true. There was, there, there were a couple of <laughs> rotations where I was like, I don't want to see everything. Like I didn't want to see a lot of ear surgeries and throat surgeries. It was a lot for me, but it was okay to be honest in that moment of, no, I think it's enough. I'm good. I'm good. I think I need to go home now. But it's just about what's the end goal? The end goal is I want to be an awesome doctor. And that breaks down into other smaller goals. Remember what those smaller goals are building towards. And it's to be an awesome doctor. So if people like you, great. If they don't, you know what? You're going to see them for two more days and then you're going to be with someone else. That's the nice thing about medicine, I think, in med school is that it moves real quick. Yeah, once you get into those clinicals, yeah. But if this sucks, hey, wait two seconds, it'll be different tomorrow or the next day. Before you know it, you're going to be on a new rotation, a new service, you'll be working with new people. The downside of that is that when you really click with someone, you're like, oh, it'll be over soon. But you can always go back and work with that person or shadow them. I do think that applies, too, to the preclinical world. Like the number one antidote to feeling so bogged down in what you're doing. Again, number one. Why am I saying this? I have no stats yet. I don't know why. This is the number one recommendation from Riley. That's what I should say. But it's being eager to learn the next thing. So you hate the heart. Find a thing that you're excited about in the heart. It's a pretty cool organ, despite it doing one thing just over and over again. Like, it's really awesome. And I hear a lot of people that are like, oh, I hate this unit. Get excited to learn. Find that excitement. And it goes back to this thing that my coach always said that I always hated when he would say it. But it's find your why. Why are you here? One of the reasons is likely because you're just excited about science and learning and medicine. And that is going to take you so much farther than just saying, I'm going to front force, work my ass off, do well on this unit. No, say like, I'm going to find something that's really exciting. I'm going to learn it because for the sake of learning, I got to be a good doctor. That's my why not to just do well on this test. And I don't think I knew that coming into medical school that like that enthusiasm for being here is actually a superpower and can get me through that last hour of studying and At the same time, it can say it can get me to the point where I'm like, all right, can't study anymore. This is too much. I need to take a break for myself. Give yourself permission to take that break because you've been so stoked about it the whole time. You're like, I'm a little tapped out. Yes. I love that. I agree. There is another feature of medical education that people cite as a reason that if they had known, they might not have gone through with it. And that is the match. So the quick and dirty act, we've talked about the match a number of times on the show many times, but here's my quick and dirty. Pre- you need a sound bite for that because we talk about the match so much. I know. You need to say it and then have just like a graphic, just like smash through the screen and just like, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. and then we all cry a little and then we start talking. We should get more sound buttons because I also want a button that's like incoming fact and then it's yeah. you that gives a little you put a little <laughs> tangential fact in it's like dave's incoming fact. science adjacent with dave yeah so the match is the process by which you get a job after medical school the process involves putting your application together putting it on an online thing an online service hoping that potential employers that you might want to work with reach out to you interviewing, not hearing about the results of that interview for many weeks, eventually rank ordering every place you went to and having them rank order you, and then eventually finding out, yes, you matched, and then waiting a little bit more to find out where you matched. And that feels to many students like a complete loss of control. Can I add one last thing? Yeah. When you've matched, 
you have no say over yes. if you can change that. Yes. So if you don't like where you matched, you, tough luck. You, you actually have no other it, you're option. contractually obligated to stick yes. with that institution. Doesn't matter if your family is here. Right. Doesn't matter if you've put roots down. You yeah. got to go. So there's such a loss of control. Also, the other important feature of this is that if you don't match, that's very scary. It's not the end of the road, but it is very scary and very difficult. That Fortunately, that happens to here anyway, a relatively small number of people. But it happens because getting into medical school Getting a job afterwards is to some extent a numbers game. There are more applicants than there are positions. And so that's a really important thing to think about. If your tolerance for ambiguity is extremely low, then this may not be the right thing for you to do. So w- why did I want to do this segment? And the reason is because I think it's important to talk about this because you need to know what you're getting into. You need to understand that so that you can be a success in this and also so that you can have a shot at defining what success means for you but if you're constantly surprised and shocked by how difficult this is or the unexpected ways that it's difficult then it's going to be that much harder for you to be successful so i hope that this little discussion is is of some help to the people listening well and i would like to in some ways end with the fact that you can both love what you do and also find problem with what you do I still think I what I do is one of the coolest things ever, even though I'm a student, even though I got to walk around undergrads, even though all of the above that we've just mentioned. Yet at the same time, it's okay to recognize that there are some things that are not as desirable about what I'm doing and what I'm going to be doing. And for anyone who's going through it, you just have to ask yourself, is the love that I'll feel better than the problems that I'll face? Is my why more important than the fact that I'm going to go through some shit to get there? And that's a question you're going to have to ask, answer for yourself. But for me, I think it's so worth it. Yeah. Is the why more important than the how? Yeah. Um, Yeah. That says it much more eloquently than my way. (laughs) You came up with the why. I just, as you were saying it, I was like, how is what she's, I think that's a beautiful sentiment. There was one other thing I wanted to add. I want to echo what Riley said is that both of those things can be true at the same time. You can like some things and not like some other things. And I think one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten is that when you're in a challenging situation, there's two ways to handle it. You can either change the way you're responding to it, or you can change your environment altogether. And for most people, removing themselves from a harmful situation is just not an option. It's logistically impossible in some cases. And so what I hope listeners are taking away from this conversation is find love in what you're doing. If only out of self-survival, find something about it that brings you joy, that brings you satisfaction, and then let that carry you through the, you know, the harder moments. But There's a reason that this was on your radar to begin with. There was a reason that you at one point thought, hey, this is great and I want to do it for the rest of my life. And I think what we're getting at, I'm realizing as we're talking about this, is don't compare yourself to other people. Other people are on their own path. Some people want to make a million dollars a year. And you know what? Good for them. I think I probably at some point maybe could have had a career like that too. Probably not. But that would have made me miserable because I would hate the kind of circles I'd have to run in to be earning that kind of income and the people I'd be around. Everyone's on their own path and everyone has different priorities. So when you're feeling bad, take some time to sit down and be like, where is this feeling coming from? Am I not being with enough people? Am I not connecting with others the way I want? Am I, am I not succeeding? And then if you feel like you're not succeeding, ask yourself, what does success even mean? Is it a good grade? Or is it like, hey, a patient told me I did a really good job today. Like I made a difference in someone's life. I made someone feel better. I don't know. Totally. And those are not like intuitive skills. Like part of what we're talking about is you have to be able to ground down by life a little bit, I think, to develop that mindset. It's the response to adversity. Love it. I like that a lot. Snaps for that. Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. One of the other things that people complain about in medical school is the effects that medical education can have on your relationships. And we've got a listener question along those lines from John, who, along with his fiance, are contemplating 
their journey to physicianness. They're both doing this. So let's hear from John. Hey friends, this is John from Maryland. I had a question for you, almost dating advice or relationship advice. Me and my fiance are both pre-med, but we're undergrads right now. And it's looking like we could either both go to the same med school or we are going to have the option to go to different med schools in the same city. Me personally, I'm pretty split in between. Both are the same option. Like I want to go to both equally. So I was just wondering, some friends and family are wondering about if it would be awkward or there would be constraints about being in the same classes, especially me and her have very different study styles. Oh, also, should I ask, should I mention this in interviews that we, that I guess I was trying to go there? That's a good question, too. But I was wondering if you're on your guys' take about that, if there's any consideration to go into different med schools for the better of our relationship. Any thoughts to start us off? I would just say, at least for me, there's pros being at the same school. Like, you have your support system really close. And I think if that's something that's important to you, that's something to consider. But at the same time, it's you can have different study styles. You just study separately, and then you can live life together as well. But I think it's a really personal decision based on how you guys think. And I don't think some random stranger should be telling you how to make these important life decisions. I did ask a random med school couple that you may know, Garrick and Michelle, about your question, John. So let's hear from Garrick, who is reporting in for both. Hey, John. My name is Garrick. I'm a third-year student at the Carver College of Medicine. My fiance's name is Michelle, and she's also a third year at CECOM. We met our freshman year of undergrad, and it's been about eight years. We've been engaged for two years and currently are planning a wedding for next summer. I think just to come to the conclusion from both Michelle and I, we were talking and we both said that we would actually choose going to the same school. The reasoning that we came up with behind that is just really a sense of camaraderie that you get. It's these shared experiences, which we both feel really bolsters our relationship. You get to experience the kind of inherent highs and the inherent lows that you'll have throughout school. You'll be able to share ideas together troubleshoot together and there's just a sense of relatability through courses and whether that's preclinical courses or on your clerkships extracurriculars etc so i think it's one thought to think well, if you're doing the quote same thing then you wouldn't have anything to really talk about because you're both experiencing it together but i think it's actually quite the opposite I think it just gives you more things to talk about because everybody experiences that curriculum in a different way from a different perspective. Does that resonate at all? You guys are, none of you are in medical school with another person, but one of the things that I think you can relate to is this idea of you're all going through it together. And a lot of times shared experiences are what build relationships. So I think that's part of what Eric was getting at there. I think what's hard about John's question is that we didn't get a sense of what is his top priority? What is he trying to prevent? Is he trying to stay close to his support system? Is he trying to prevent a strain on their relationship from being farther apart? Like that, that I think would go a long way in shaping what he should decide to do. And I think Garrick brought up a really good point, which is that we just want to be in the same place at the same time, going through the same stuff and to be able to relate to each other about it. And to, there's something really powerful about coming home and talking about what's going on with you and having the other person know exactly what you're talking about. I think there's a key aspect, depend, like regardless of what John and his fiance or girlfriend fiance. would choose. And I think part of it is just like conversation around boundaries is going to be really important, especially if you go to the same school. And my husband did not go to medical school, but in some ways we have boundaries in that. Like we're not always talking about work. I'm not always talking about what I do. He's not always talking about what he does. You may need to have boundaries as far as grades go, which could be difficult if that is maybe something that could put a strain on your relationship yeah. that where one partner or the other may feel, I don't know, threatened by the other one doing well or not doing well. And that, again, this is all maybe just stuff to reflect on, which is, are you going to get jealous of your partner if they do well? Is your partner going to get jealous of you if you do well? And thinking about what are the boundaries we need to have in place when we come home at the end of the day? Can we spend three hours 
deep diving into the aspects of our day or is that going to be detrimental to the health of our relationship and that is just general relationship advice the idea of boundaries but it's going to be extra important if you guys are going through the exact same experiences together it turns out that garrick and michelle have had this conversation (gasps) so let's hear it's almost as if i knew (laughs) i didn't one thing that we decided on early was that we wouldn't share any information about grades with each other because we didn't want grades to become an issue or a point of tension in our relationship so we just decided that basically no matter what we wouldn't tell each other about our grades Of course, we studied together and things like that, but we never discussed the outcome of tests and what our final grades were. And I guess my point is, as with any relationship, it's important to set boundaries and it's important to think about a kind of quote prophylactically what potential areas of tension you could foresee arising in a school setting. I guess if you guys have been dating for a while in undergrad, you may already have a system in place and that system can just be nicely transferred over to medical school. Or if there are are certain areas within your relationship that that there's tension stemming from something from school, then maybe you guys could brainstorm ways in which you can set boundaries so that those tensions are decreased. Another thing that we did is put our desks in separate rooms. And that's just so that if we are on a Zoom meeting and one of us, for example, is trying to study, we're not disturbing each other. That's good advice. (laughs) I I, I hate this guy. He's so balanced (laughs) and reasonable. (laughs) He better be 50 if you got that kind of personal growth. Like I I can second the having desks in different rooms thing. And and this was never an issue until we were on lockdown and everybody was doing Zoom meetings in the same household for different jobs and all this kind of stuff. And I quickly realized that there was no way that my wife and I were going to be happy if we were working in our home office that we had set up together. So I quickly moved my stuff out down into the living room because I just knew we were going to, I was going to be hearing her all day. I don't know how she feels about me, but she's, she's pretty, she's a good focuser and I am not a good focuser. And so if there's constant distraction or like vocalizations around me, it's going to be a problem for me. So just knowing yourself and yourselves together is probably a pretty useful I'd like to add one last maybe piece of advice. This is not just for medical school. This is just generally if you guys are going to the same place, I would recommend like finding niches of people outside of kind of just people you only hang out with together, which can be difficult. I know even myself in a relationship, the idea of, oh, we've got like couple friends or just people we all hang out together, but just in some ways creating a distance between each other, not like in terms of we know what Something you're saying. That, thank you. you I'm like, don't break up. You've got to like, have other people in yeah, your life. Yeah, just have other people in your life. Have other support systems because if you are constantly looking to your partner for that support, especially during medical school in which those interpersonal supports are going to be really important because it's going to be a difficult experience as we've just spent the first half of this podcast talking about. But just find someone that's not just going to be your partner to bitch to because you're going to need someone and you can't just have this again just advice that I've gotten from other people you don't want to put all your eggs just in the basket of your partner having other people that you can go to and relate to and talk to is going to be really important that said it sounds pretty awesome to go to medical school with your partner that'd be so fun to look over and be like I know you and we're sitting right next to them and be like, I know you. This is so fun. Drive to and from together. You you sort of brought this up, having other other people in your life, but there are limitations to those relationships that maybe you wouldn't have with your significant other. So here is a benefit that Garrick identified. So I had to get an N95 mask fitted for me. It's something that everyone going through clerkships has to have. And so if you haven't had this already done, basically you go somewhere where they have this machine that effectively attaches to the front of an N95 and they have you do different positions, leaning forward, turning your head, et cetera, et cetera. And this machine is making sure that the N95 mask is doing its job appropriately. And so I forgot to get a clean shave that morning And I had already had this appointment scheduled and it would have been like $25 or $30 for canceling after 8 a.m., which it already was by the time I made this realization. 
And it probably would have delayed the start of my clerkship because I didn't have the paperwork to prove that I had gone through this process. And so it just so happened that Michelle, who was also on a different clerkship, had an hour and a half break. And I told her about this and she basically volunteered to go walk to the car, go to a nearby Walgreens. And she got me a razor and shaving cream (laughs) and brought it back to me so that I could get this mask fitting done. Maybe I need to get some new friends, but I don't have any friend that would literally take the time during their break in the day to go get shaving cream and a razor for me. It's really nice having someone that cares about you to that level. Someone you can count on. I take it back. Yeah, no, that'd be great to have that. So here's the not cool part I think is worth remembering is that on the one hand, you get to work really closely with someone that you really care about, but that also means that you're living with one of your coworkers. And I think what Riley said and what Garrick brought up is worth reemphasizing as well. Boundaries are extremely important. And if you have any issues in your relationship, it's maybe even worth going to a counselor to hammer those things out before you are in the far more distressing situation of being in med school. There was a guy in my first year of med school that redeveloped a stutter that he'd been in speech pathology for a long time as a kid to get rid of. And he was like, I don't feel stressed. And I was like, I think your body's stressed. I think your body's trying to tell you something. So you may not feel it on the surface, but any little jagged edge to your relationship will turn into a bigger and bigger chip over time, unless you put a strategy in place and boundaries in place. Yeah. So I was adamant, I think, when I moved here that I did not want to live with other med students. I didn't really want to live with other students. And I was partnered when I moved here, so it wasn't really an option. But just the prospect, when I heard other people talk about it, made me nauseous. I was like, no, I want to leave that at work. Like, work is work. I want to come home, and I want to be in my own world. Yeah. And and actually, since I'm talking, I'll just say one more thing. One thing I really liked that Riley said, I'm a big fan of you, Riley. You're good people. I think part of being a healthy person is there's a lot of value in building a world together with someone you really care about. But the healthiest people seem to have their own little world, their own space, their own activities, their own identity. And maybe some people really like melding themselves with another person. But... That's where the boundaries between a healthy relationship and like a very codependent relationship develop. And so if you're going to school together, it might be a good idea to cultivate different friend groups or have different clubs that you go to. It's nice for you to have your own world and then have another world you're building together, but to have a place you can go when you just need to be on your own a little bit. Yeah. And that'll depend on the type of relationship you guys both want. For me, I want a relationship in which I'm an independent being that just happens to love this person. Therefore, we cohabitate together and we become partners in that world. But I still want this independentness to be able to do what I want. And my husband wants that too. And that's great. So making sure that you're both on the same page in terms of all of these conversations, this is not something that you, John, can say, I want this boundary and not talk to your partner about. This is something that needs to be an ongoing discussion and an ongoing conversation. So Working on those conversation skills, working on those boundaries, working on enforcing your your team outside of each other, those are all just going to strengthen you two as a unit. So this is not just something to think about during medical school, but as you're even in the preparation for thinking about medical schools and thinking about that really stressful process of applying to medical schools, this is a really awesome opportunity without the stress of being in medical school to just work on those kind of factors. And the last thing I would say is if you want more advice on some of the downfalls that can happen when you're working so closely with your partner, another good resource would be looking at couples that run businesses together, because in some ways this is very similar. And I think there's a lot of conversation around how couples that run businesses together will manage their relationship and as well as their business. And in some ways, this is what that feels like. So I know there's probably just unending YouTube videos of discussions about people and the ways that they maintain relationships and also their kind of jobs, because the goal ultimately is going to be to separate those two in the way that works best for you. John had one more question at the end, which was whether they should tell admissions about applying with your fiance. And I spoke to Amy Ahern in admissions here and she said, absolutely. 
Amy wants to know that information because, and I think you'll understand why she says no promises, but a person that we want here needs to be happy with deciding to attend. And part of that happiness is being with their spouse or fiance. And it turns out that Garrick and Michelle agree. My personal opinion on that is that you absolutely should. More important than anything in my life, research, grades, any accomplishment so far that I've had is my fiance, Michelle. And it sounds kind of corny or kind of cheesy, but we have constantly pushed each other to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. And uh, yeah, I honestly don't think I'd be where I'm at without her kind of pushing me and her continued just support throughout everything. And so I think my point here is that a school that values relationships values people. And to me, that's the single most important quality or characteristic in not only an individual, but in an organization. And that's something that can't be measured really and put on a brochure. And so I think if you're in an interview and you mention this to an interviewer and the interviewer is really receptive to this and the admissions committee is really receptive to this, I think that's a school that doesn't just see you purely as a, another data point in a sea of other data points, right? They see you really who you are beyond that and what you value and what's important to you. And I think that we found that at Carver and it was one of the really main reasons that we came together because more important than pretty much anything to Michelle and I is a community that cares about us on a personal level and cares about building the community within the College of Medicine, within the hospital as a whole. And then of course, within the community at large that we're able to help and serve. So there you go. That was so sweet of Garrick. And I hope that we can send that to Michelle because that was really nice. I'm a big Garrick fan after this. <laughs> <laughs> Garrick, 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 and Michelle. <laughs> and Michelle. So yeah. Anything else we want to say about that before we sign off? Many happy wishes to both sets of our couples here. That's our show. Aline, Riley, Jacob, Tracy, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks. And what kind of host would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe. Follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Thank you to this week's producer, Noah Wick, and to this week's editor, Alec Hansen. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine, student government, and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Hi, Shortcoats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com.